My uh, guest today and my great pleasure is to talk to my colleague, Natalie Harris, uh, who I worked with for many years now. And uh, she has backed me up and fronted me in many ways uh, legally over the years. And today we're going to spend some time talking a little bit about the First Amendment and anonymous speech. But before we get there, Natalie, tell us a little bit about yourself. How long have you been practicing law? Hi, Steve. Thanks again for uh, having me today. I'm looking forward to uh, talking with you about this topic that's close to both of our hearts. A little background about me. I am originally a Michigander. So I uh, graduated from the University of Michigan and had um, an interest in Japan and Japanese language. So I spent several years in Japan uh, studying and teaching. And my first law job was actually at a firm in town here in Chicago that focused on representing uh, Japanese companies. I did that for a few years and really enjoyed it, uh, but was lucky enough to um, get a call early in my career to join the firm, Mandel Mankus. And what really caught my attention was their focus on uh, First Amendment defense. So for the first, uh, for the past 15 years or so together, um, I've really focused on um, two aspects of doing media defense work. On the first end, I do counseling work where I represent anyone who publishes content. So advertisers, publishers from old fashioned uh, traditional media, newspapers, magazines, radio and TV, uh, all the way to current, uh, the most cutting edge digital publishers. We vet their content. We take a look at what they want to publish, counsel them about potential risks, and hopefully send them on their way without saying no, but being able to modify anything that they want to publish so that they can publish it without uh, incurring the costs. And uh, to the extent that doesn't work or the extent they uh, haven't found us before they publish something that catches someone's attention, Anyone who um, is on the receiving end of a claim for defamation, uh, sometimes referred to as libel or slander, invasion of privacy, based on the content that has been published out in the world, um, I have developed a niche in doing uh, litigation defense for those sort of claims uh, in state and federal courts here in Illinois and elsewhere. That's great. So before we jump into the topic today, what kinds of publishers do you represent? You, you mentioned publishers, generally speaking, but maybe you can define that a little bit. Sure. In the course of my career, um, I've uh, represented a wide range from um, small local suburban newspapers to uh, national cable broadcasters, to radio stations, uh, websites, advertising agencies, all the way to um, traditional uh, commercial clients that have, say, a marketing department that had, puts out publications that market their own business and need uh, compliance counseling about the content they're putting out in the world to advertise their goods and services. So let's turn our attention now to anonymous speech and um, talk a little bit about what it is, what legal protections there are for anonymous speech, and um, the kinds of things that you do as a lawyer to protect anonymous speakers. And maybe before we even go there, you can give us a little bit of schooling on uh, the First Amendment and how it applies to anonymous speech in our country. Uh, sure. I can start with a real broad overview. You know, these are the sort of things that uh, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed law students go to school for. You hope that someday when you're practicing, maybe you can say the First Amendment in court or write something about it. But before you can do that, obviously, it's important to understand what it means. I think there's a lot of misconception. Um, I think it's important to go back. I have a a uh, bookmark that I got from a contribution that I made that has the Bill of Rights on it. And it's fairly remarkable to me when I look at it to see that the entire Bill of Rights can be contained on a bookmark. And I think that's important for 
lots of lawyers to remember when they're doing extensive briefing. But the First Amendment, which is the First Amendment to the Constitution in the Bill of Rights, um, protects against uh, abridging the freedom of the freedom of speech, freedom of press, freedom of religion. And so in the work that I do, um, when I'm doing defense work in defamation litigation, basically what I'm doing is making First Amendment rooted arguments against claims that certain speech um, should be subject to liability. So in other words, First Amendment um, protects people from from making, uh, protects people against liability for speech uh, that is protected under the First Amendment. So um, most of the time, what happens is that someone is offended or their feelings are hurt or they feel like their business has been damaged or their reputation has been um, affected by something that has been published. But it's important that the First Amendment um, protects speech that hurts people's feelings or even uh, disrupts their business. Because in order to state a claim for defamation, to have a claim, you have to show that the speech is false and that it is a matter of fact. And so those are sort of the nuances of the defenses uh, in a defamation case. Okay. But you're, you're wrapping your defendant, your client in the First Amendment and trying to bring forth reasons why the speech is otherwise protected by the First Amendment. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think that's a good way to describe it. So let's turn now again to anonymous speech. First of all, what is anonymous speech? So anonymous speech uh, is speech published um, by a speaker where that identity of the speaker, who the speaker actually is, is not known to the general public who has access to read or listen to the speech. And what would be some examples today of when and where people speak anonymously in public? Sure. Well, today it's um, interestingly becoming more and more common. Back um, during uh, the time of the country's founding, it was common in sort of political leafleting. Um, but that sort of speech has reemerged currently, uh, especially with Internet speech. So I would say the most common place that people would see it would be, for instance, commenting on um, news articles online. Often people will use a handle that sometimes might indicate who they are, other times would have uh, someone reading a comment using a handle would have no idea who the actual speaker is. Another example would be uh, political speech leaflets that are distributed um, under the name of an organization or a group where the identity of the members is unknown. A lot of people on social media today use uh, monikers or handles that obscure their actual names. Is that an example of anonymous speech? Exactly. That's uh, another perfect example of sort of the modern age digital use of anonymous speech. You know, you when you were uh, talking about the history of anonymous speech, I was reminded that I believe that the Federalist Papers uh, published by none other than Alexander Hamilton and James Madison were written under pen names and anonymously, if you will. Those were, of course, uh, fundamental documents to promote uh, the establishment of the Constitution, and yet they were anonymously written, uh, although I think there came a time when people really realized who the authors were. Um, so is there a right to, to speak anonymously? Uh, can people hide behind uh, pen names or pseudonyms or no names at all? Um there is, and uh, it's rather contoured and nuanced, and it varies depending on uh, what your what state you're in. But generally speaking, there is a right to speak anonymously, and it's protected by the First Amendment, and it's rooted, I think, in in two principles. The first of which um, is that 
an individual or an entity should have the right to speak anonymously because their message may be impacted uh, based on who they are. In other words, you may have, the general public may have a different impression of a message or a statement if it is coupled with the identity of a speaker, either who they like, who they don't like, who they agree with, who they, dis who they disagree with. And in order to cultivate um, true discourse, uh, there is a benefit to allowing speech to circulate um, among the public without it being tied to the identity of the speaker to encourage people to consider speech, um, perhaps without um, tying it to the name of the actual speaker. And I think probably these days there's also another policy behind it, which is um, the idea of retribution, that in order to make uh, the airwaves and the papers and the internet a safe place for people to voice unpopular ideas which need the most protection, the people m voicing those unpopular ideas uh, need to be protected from retribution, from threats, so that they are allowed to make speech that others might disagree with so that the nature and the content of that speech can be publicly debated um, and not silenced uh, by those who disagree with it. So the adage of uh, if you have something to say, be courageous enough to say it in your own name, uh, there are certain exceptions to that. In other words, uh, there are times when people, for fear of their own safety or their own livelihood, really need to speak anonymously. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think that's true. So if somebody speaks anonymously or writes anonymously, are they uh, anonymous forever or are there ways in which their identities can somehow be unearthed and revealed? Uh, that, that's a good question. And the answer is that no, they are not anonymous forever. Uh, the protections of the First Amendment and therefore anonymous speech reach only so far. There is no protection for defamatory speech. So if um, someone publishes content that is provably false, um, that has damaged someone's reputation, in the case of damaging the reputation of a public figure, if that public figure can demonstrate that the speaker knew that the speech was false or had reason to believe it was false when it was published, then the speaker um, cannot hide behind the First Amendment and their identity can be revealed. So um, it's not uh, rock solid, in other words. There are times when somebody's anonymity can, can be unearthed and revealed. And as you point out, if somebody writes or says something defamatory, then uh, they will uh, potentially be uh, disclosed or, or, or uh, their identity will be disclosed. Correct. Uh, absolutely. And that um, is you know, consistent with the principles behind the First Amendment. The First Amendment is not uh, structured or intended, nor has it been interpreted to protect speech uh, that is false and defamatory. So here in Illinois, is there any kind of a legal procedure that um, somebody who thinks they've been harmed by speech has to follow in order to try to find the identity of somebody? Uh, there is. There is a unique um, procedure that is written into the Illinois Supreme Court rules. It's sort of conventionally referred to as Rule 224. That's the number for the Illinois Supreme Court rule. And it's a device that a plaintiff, so that's someone who wants to identify uh, the identity of an anonymous speaker can use to try and unmask the anonymous speaker. Uh, the technical language of the rule allows someone to use 224 to identify someone who may be liable to that person in damages. 
A lot of times I imagine that uh, speakers, especially in the world of social media or online, are using platforms um, anonymously. But those platforms, whether they're Google or Yahoo or Facebook, etc., um, have the ultimate information about who the identity of the speaker is. Is that correct? Um, you know, that's an interesting point. Often the answer to that is yes. Sometimes the answer is sometimes. And uh, it's often sort of a, a labor-intensive process to uh, unravel who the actual speaker is. And the devices that can be used or the information that can be gleaned usually start with identifying the internet protocol address, the IP address of the machine, the device uh, that was used to post the content online. In your experience, do the platforms that I mentioned a moment ago, Google, Yahoo, Facebook, do they take steps to try to protect the anonymity of the people who write or publish things on their sites, or do they uh, willingly turn over information if they get a court order or a subpoena? You know, my experience is that um, no conduit for content, no publisher willingly and quickly turns over anyone's identity. Um, I think all of uh, publishers exist in part because they they have um, the, the people who post have some trust that their anonymity will be protected. So normally there is a procedure where uh, the publisher will have some sort of notice mechanism where they will let the underlying speaker know either through email or whatever contact information they have that someone is seeking their identity and allow the individual to appear and to intervene in what we call as a John Doe, where their uh, identity is not revealed, but they are allowed to intervene and um, object to the disclosure of their identity. Um, I've been involved in cases where the platform is extremely aggressive in uh, protecting the identity, and I've also been involved in cases where uh, the platform is slightly less aggressive and upon receiving an order pursuant to a 224 petition, um, will turn over the information. So if I'm an anonymous speaker, I shouldn't necessarily count on the fact that the platform I'm writing on is going to protect me. I may have to take my own steps to protect myself. Is that fair to say? I think that's fair and a good place to look if you are... Um, um, contemplating publishing speech online that you think uh, may draw the ire of someone would be to look at the terms and conditions of the website on which you're publishing. Often there will be um, a section that talks about what the internal procedure is for the platform if uh, the identity or the um, private information of anyone posting is requested. That will allow you to know at least whether uh, if the if the publisher is faced with the prospect of disclosing you, whether you will have an opportunity to receive notice and perhaps to intervene to make your case or whether the platform is one that is more likely to simply just turn over your identity and let you fight your own fight um, based on their own uh, decisions about how they want to operate. Well, before we wrap up uh, here, Natalie, first of all, thanks very much for, for sharing this information. It's very valuable to all of the anonymous speakers out there in the world today. If you had anything that you wanted to impart uh, to people who are interested in expressing their views or opinions or have some uh, information they think should be uh, presented to the public, but they're concerned about doing it in their own name, do you have any sort of final advice or comments about what they should do? Sure. Well, I think the best protection is to ensure that um, the speech that you publish is not actionable. So in Illinois, 
um, under Rule 224, in order for someone to get your identity, they have to be able to demonstrate that they have a case on the merits for defamation or some other claim. And so to insulate yourself against the risk of your identity uh, being disclosed, what you should want to do first is to ensure that the the content that you're publishing is protected under the First Amendment. There's a lot of ways to do that. Um, often, uh, especially if we're talking about political discourse or um, a hot button issue uh, in the public realm, to ensure that it's clear to a reader that you're expressing your opinions about an issue or a person and not stating any false facts. And in fact, if uh, you suspect that someone may claim that something you're saying is false, the more facts and you can include in your statement that support the basis for your conclusion, uh, the better defense you'll have if someone chooses uh, to try and unveil your identity on the basis that what you've published is defamatory. It sounds to me that they may want to talk to a lawyer, too. And if that's the case, they can find you at uh, mandelmenkis.com. Is that right? That's right. That's M-A-N-D-E-L-L-M-E-N-K-E-S.com. Natalie, thanks again for your time today and for helping us learn about anonymous speech. Thanks so much for having me, Steve. I really appreciate it.